Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome again to our Wednesday night devotional refresh, close-ups of Jesus through the lens of Mark. This is our 24th week. We're well into uh, chapter 12. What you'll see in the next little while as we work toward the end of the book, this, this, this rejection of Jesus that's more subtle at the beginning of Mark's account it gets more intense. It gets more visible, of course, leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus. And so you'll, you'll see the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, today the Herodians, different groups, and this united plot. A few weeks ago, our study ended with them saying they sought for a way to destroy him. But they have to do it carefully. It's a, it's a crafty kind of destruction. And that's what you're going to see here. I want to talk to you just one thought from four verses, Mark 12, 13 through 17. And it has to do with uh, the political responsibilities of followers of Jesus in a fallen, sinful world. And they're going to try and pin Jesus down. This string of trick questions. Remember last, last week, um, Jesus He's in the temple. He clears it of the money changers. By what authority do you do this? And if he says of God, they're going to nail him on blasphemy, which is what they eventually did at Jesus' trial. Now they've got another issue. Mark 12, 13 through 17. It's the issue of um, taxes, politics. And as with most trick questions, what they do is they give a very complex situation and then they insist Jesus, give us a yes or no. You, you know how that works. Watch any news network you want. And over and over, it's, it's a terrible form of interview where, where uh, different uh, interviewers, you get somebody and you're talking to them about a really complex issue. And before they even ask the question, they'll say something like this. Now, I just, I just want a yes or no answer. And, and whenever you see that, you know the interviewer isn't out for information. The interviewer is just out to pin somebody down. That's exactly what's happening with Jesus and these religious leaders. Let's, let's look at some of these points. One, the loaded question about taxes. Mark 12, starting at 13. Let's do 13 and 14. And, and they sent to him, notice those words, they sent to him, they're, they're getting people who they think can do their bidding, appropriate people to trip up Jesus, certain experts, certain kinds of questioners. They sent to him some of the Pharisees, some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. That's what they're out to do. And they came and said to him, teacher, listen to this. We know that you are true. And do not care about anyone's opinion. So you're just going to speak your mind. Boy, we like that about you, Jesus. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. These people, Mark told us earlier, are out to kill Jesus. Look at this. But you truly teach the way of God. Good for you, Jesus. And now the trick. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Yes or no? Should we pay them or should we not? Now, 
you can see the hand of the religious leaders. It's working, even though it's behind the scenes, that, that 13th verse, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians. So the religious leaders have united two groups of people who would normally have very little to do with each other. The Pharisees and the Herodians. That's what, that's what uh, Mark says in verse 13. Now let me just give, let me just give a little bit of background because I do think it helps see what's going on here. Um, Palestine was not independent. It was a, a colonized uh, Roman satellite under Roman imperial power. So, here's the question. Should people, the people of God, should they put money, tax money, into the hands of oppressors? People who dominated and ruled. Now, there were different answers to that question. In fact, there were, there were three different parties. Mark deals with two, but there were actually three different parties, and they all had different reactions to that kind of issue. There's, in, in different parts of the uh, synoptics, you'll see a group called the Zealots. They're a group of religious, more radicals who, who felt strongly that Rome should just be fought tooth and nail. No support should come willingly from the people of God. Mark also mentions in our text the Herodians. That's a very different group, a group who felt strongly that Israel's uh, strength, benefit, security, it would be best won not by fighting Rome the way the Zealots did, but through submission, through accommodation, they would be better off getting along with Rome. And so they would support they backed the support of Rome. They backed the support of Herod, Herodians. Now, the Pharisees, Mark mentions them, they knew they could easily put Jesus right in the middle. They were somewhere right in the middle. I mean, in theory, they supported the zealots that Rome should not be supported, but the Pharisees benefited from this tight uh, political religious system. They were profiting uh, they had a good thing going under Rome. So they're, they're kind of right in the middle. Now, what side? See what they're doing? What side is Jesus going to take? Whose side are you on, Jesus, in this controversial issue? Which group do you want to offend? They know they can make Jesus make enemies here, and that's what they're trying to do. It is easy. It is easy sometimes to use Jesus for some personal agenda, sometimes intentionally, as in this case, sometimes, sometimes unintentionally, where, where uh, other motives can creep into decisions we make other than just devotion to Jesus, love for Jesus, uh, desires for success, desires for comfort, and somehow they, they can creep their way into uh, here's what Jesus will do for me under these circumstances or those. And that's not to question the goodness of our Lord. It's simply, it's simply this issue of the right motive of heart whenever we make our approach to Jesus. Point number two. Uh, notice how they flatter Jesus to force him to answer their question. It's in verse 14. They came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. 
but truly teach the way of God. They're not submitting to They have no interest in submitting to Jesus. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? So this is their way, this flattery. Oh, Jesus, we know that you're not swayed by human. You'll, you'll just speak your mind. You're not worried about the consequences. You're truthful. They're not, they're not just paying Jesus a compliment. That's not what's going on here. They're trying to make sure Jesus won't dodge their question. They're setting him up. Jesus won't dodge their question. The one thing they don't want is a non-answer. <laughs> they remember the way they asked Jesus, who gave you the authority to clear the temple like this? And Jesus fired back, let me ask you something about John the Baptist. Remember, that was just a week ago. They don't want to be caught there again. Jesus left them just walking away in silence, not knowing what to do. So they don't want a repeat of that. So, Jesus, we know you're just going to give a straight answer here. No tricks. They want to make sure that he will give the kind of answer they want. Is it yes or is it no? Because they're thinking, as long as Jesus just says yes or no, we've got him. And that's all they care about. Okay, point number three. Jesus answers their question in a manner that, that actually has something to say to both groups. And it's in verses 15 through 17. But knowing their hypocrisy, there it is, Jesus knows. But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? He knows what's going on. What are you doing here? That's what Jesus is saying. Bring me a denarius, one of their coins, and let me look at it. And so they brought one. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. So he won't give them the yes or no. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and to God the things that are God's. Look at and they and they marveled at him. First, Jesus knows their hearts. He knows this is a setup, knowing their hypocrisy. Verse fifteen, and he and he gets them to bring one of their own coins, a silver denarius. That's a coin especially especially minted for the purpose of paying taxes to Rome. And on the coin was inscribed the words, Tiberius Caesar, majestic son of divine Augustus. And so this portable idol, it really offered both the zealots and the Pharisees. It offended them both, but it didn't offend them so much that they wouldn't use Roman cash. Their pockets were full of these coins. And so, Jesus gives his answer to both groups. First, there are certain responsibilities they all had to their government. The fact, the fact that they had currency, the coin they brought, they had roads, they had legal systems, all of those things. It proved that they owed the government, even the Roman government, the support appropriate for those things. So in this way, Jesus addresses the Pharisees, who tended to play down loyalty to Rome. But Jesus also has something to say to the Herodians, those who, who honored Herod, 
who just saw this as a way of gain, of political power and clout and comfort, fitting into the system. While honor should be given to government, it's not ultimate honor. So if the first part of Jesus' response gives honor to the state, the last part of Jesus' response puts limits of the honor they can give to the state. Certain things are due, but, but not our conscience, not our worship, not our deepest loyalty, not our absolute allegiance under any circumstances. So in other words, Jesus says some people can give the state too little, Many people give the state too much. Now, what about this? How, how do the words of Jesus get played out, repeated, amplified, explained in the rest of the scriptures? That's what I want to do in the fourth point. I want to see this issue in some other, in some other texts. First, we're told that government is God's servant and it is to be honored by everyone. I get that in Romans 13, 1 to 7. If you have a Bible, uh, look this one up. Romans 13, 1 to 7. Let every person, so that's pretty clear how many people he's talking about. Everybody. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Look at these words. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist, listen, will incur judgment. Three, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword sword. That's interesting. He does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Five, therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For the same reason also, now this relates to our text, pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Now, do you hear the words of Jesus, Paul giving them just a a repetition in different form? Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Those words written to... to, to, um, subjects, not citizens actually, subjects under a pretty oppressive anti-Christian Roman leader. So those words aren't, weren't written to a, a peaceable democracy. They were written to Christians under a cruel dictatorship. That's what makes them really striking. Look at, here's something else. Look at First Peter Two and then 13 through 17. Be subject for the Lord's sake. Now it's for the Lord's sake to every human institution, 
whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. And so the same thing, you have the two sides covered there. There's loyalty to government, obedience to government. It's put there by God, but it's not ultimate loyalty. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. You, 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 you can't be a good Christian without being a good citizen. You just can't. We're not called to be otherworldly in our walk. We're, we're salt and light in this present earth, and yet government can. It can overstep, overstep proper bounds. And knowing that, um, religious fervor that gets too tightly aligned with this political party, that candidate, this person, will always miss the mark. When, when the principles of the kingdom conflict with human political and religious systems, the Christian must honor God and humbly face the music. Y you see it. Peter, and, and they've been evangelizing, and the leaders get Peter, and they say, no more preaching the gospel. No more preaching the gospel. Don't you name the name of Jesus anymore. Okay, so there's, there's leadership, a form of government, telling Peter what he can and can't do with Jesus Christ. Peter's reply, it's in Acts 5.29, Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. If we have to suffer for that, we're not going to rebel. We'll suffer. Put us in jail. Do whatever you want to do. We'll submit but we honor God. And so once again, boy, you just see it so clearly, don't you? The way, the way our Lord, beholding the glory of our Lord, there's, there's such wisdom there in what he says. And here we are, we all of us, we have to follow Jesus and honor those in authority. It's not either or, it's just knowing each one in its proper place. Let's pray. Thank you for the practicality of your word and the way it, it shines light. My goodness, we look at these words from Jesus thousands of years ago, and, and somehow they still have that, what J.B. Phillips called that ring of truth. They make such sense. We see the wisdom of God in them. And so help us to function as children of the light. Make us good citizens and make us devout followers of Jesus, and do both those things at the same time, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Sunday morning, 10 o'clock, we start our four-part Christmas series, Making Spirits Bright. So join us. Join us right here in the sanctuary at 10 o'clock or a live stream at home. Sunday night is our very last message in the book of Romans, how good theology inspires the best worship. God bless the church. Love one another.